0: the gradebook a tampa bay times podcast on florida education issues i'm reporter jeff solacek the baker act is something we hear about from time to time in schools generally when a student is deemed out of control and potentially harmful to himself or others law enforcement take the children into custody sometimes in handcuffs often without parents knowing about it in order to get additional mental health evaluations is this the way things are supposed to work Times reporters Megan Reeves and Jack Evans have spent months looking into the intricacies of the 1970s-era law, which at first had nothing to do with youth, and found some interesting and potentially disturbing trends in the schools. Their reporting has bolstered bipartisan legislation before Florida lawmakers to change the model. In this week's podcast, Megan and Jack join us to talk about all things Baker Act past, current, and even what to look forward to. This is the Tampa Bay Times Gradebook Podcast. Okay, so we're here with Jack and Megan, and I'm glad to have you here to talk about your Baker Act project. Thank you for joining me today, live, in person.
1: Yes, it's so exciting. We're glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's always a fun time to be on. So I just don't understand what the heck the Baker Act is, where it came from, and why you wrote the story. So let's just start right there. What is the Baker Act, and why did you write the story?
1: Sure. So um, the Baker Act is actually uh, decades old. It was created to um, help people with who were suffering from mental illness, you know, if police arrived and and maybe would have arrested them. Otherwise, this gave them sort of a tool that they could use to take, um, rather than take those people to jail, they could take them to a mental health hospital.
2: And kind of what had been done before that, even in situations where people were taken for mental health care in those situations, they were often taken to state hospitals, um, which, you know, as the Times and other media organizations have reported over many, many years have had a number of problems in the past. And part of the... The idea of the Baker Act was also to try and give those people options for community-based care so they would have somewhere to go within their own county not across the entire state.
0: But we're talking about kids in schools and how did that ever get wrapped into this at all?
1: So the Baker Act initially, as as we just said, was kind of meant more for adults, um, but over time it's been used more and more on children. And um, we kind of found that out because we were both education reporters and we're talking to families in our communities and hearing from them that their children were being taken from school, um, put in handcuffs, put in the back of a cop car, and taken to mental health facilities. And of course, that struck us, um, you know, just we didn't understand, you know, that that was something that happened, and, and certainly not as frequently. Um, as we were finding that it was happening. And and so we started kind of trying to dig and and look into, you know, when does this happen? Why does this happen? And we found that the state really didn't have uh, very good data on that.
2: Yeah, the, the state, in many senses, does keep track of Baker Acts because there's paperwork that has to be filed that goes to the Department of Children and Families when the Baker Act is used. Um, and for many years, there was an effort by the folks who keep track of that data, which that data kind of goes through the Baker Act Reporting Center at the University of South Florida, who, who puts out a a very thorough and helpful annual report every year. Um, but one of the things they'd been pushing for for a long time was a section on one of those forms that essentially said where the Baker Act was initiated. And for kids, one of the options on there would be at a school. Um, eventually they got that added to the form, but they pretty quickly found that the people who were filling out those forms were not filling them out reliably. And so the data that the state was able to gather on when the Baker Act was used at school was essentially totally unreliable. And after, I think there was only one year in which the Baker Act Reporting Center actually included that in its annual report, because it became so quickly apparent that that data wasn't reliable. And so to us, kind of the first thing we thought of was like, well, we need to get a grip on how often this is happening. How can we do that? And we realized that, um, A, most of the time, at least in the Tampa Bay area and really across most of Florida, even when the Baker Act is used at school, uh, and even though there are many licensed mental health professionals who by law are allowed to use the Baker Act, when the Baker Act is used in school, it's almost always a law enforcement professional who's using the Baker Act. And that's because most school districts uh do not allow their employees, even if they're licensed to use the Baker Act, they don't allow their employees to use the Baker Act. Why? So uh, well, that's an answer that frankly, we, we haven't really gotten a clear answer to, one thing that we heard from Hillsborough County schools when we asked them about this was that even though every school has some sort of a, a school guidance counselor, not all of those counselors, for example, are necessarily uh, licensed mental health counselors. It's a, it's a different licensing kind of thing. And
1: it's more expensive, of course, to hire employees with higher credentials. Um, I, and we've heard, too, uh, another person, he, he's the, the last, uh, most recent president of the, what is it, the Florida?
2: The Florida Association of School Psychologists. Yeah, his,
1: one of his theories was just that school districts want to sort of ab- avoid liability. They don't want to be in these situations where parents might be upset or they may, might make the wrong call. And the state of Florida, the way that the law is structured, the way the Baker Act is structured, it gives the authority to mental health, some mental health professionals and to law enforcement officers to use the Baker Act. And so it's cheaper and kind of safer, it would seem, for school districts to, to kind of yield to law enforcement completely. So
0: before you get much further on this, I want to know why you, not you, why a school or a law enforcement officer would Baker Act a child in a school? What would constitute something so bad
2: that they need to be, what is it, involuntarily incarcerated or something involuntary involuntary examination is the the terminology that the law uses which means they'll be taken to a mental health facility they'll be seen by a, a doctor or a psychologist and it'll kind of go from there but nonetheless they're certainly being taken away from their school often in the back of cop cars often handcuffed okay. and the the circumstances that lead to that we found that it, it can really be a wide range of things based on the hundreds of police reports describing the use of the Baker Act that we reviewed. Sometimes it seems like very clear-cut circumstances. You know, a a child is talking to a a counselor or a social worker or a teacher or a principal and says, I'm going to go home and kill myself today. And that person calls in a law enforcement officer who believes that, you know, that meets the criteria for uh, the use of the Baker Act. And, And those criteria essentially are, does the person pose a danger to themselves or others? And does the person using the Baker Act believe that that person has a mental illness? And uh, will,
1: in another part too, will they not get help otherwise?
2: Right, right. Um, will they either be unable to get help or will there be a self-neglect situation if they, um, if they are not placed under the Baker Act? Um, and so we found some situations, even a lot of situations, that were really cut and dry like that. We also found an awful lot of really gray area situations um, that had to do with kids who maybe said... You know, I, yes, I've had thoughts of suicide in the past, but I'm not thinking of doing that now. And nonetheless, they wind up being placed under the Baker Act. Kids who maybe self injure, but say they don't mean to harm themselves to the extent of death. Um, there are a lot of circumstances that are really gray area things, things that might be, um, you know, threats of, you know, suicide that aren't necessarily credible. For example, where, uh, you know, a, a kid maybe lays out some very outlandish means that they want to use to harm themselves or others. And it's very clear that they don't have those means and nonetheless they're Baker acted. And also, um, and I know it, Jeff um, is trying to ask yes, another question, here, but right? uh, one other important part of this is that we definitely saw. Um, a, a notable number of kids who had autism or behavioral disorders or developmental delays who were, you know, who, who were behaving in ways that was for them normal uh, and often noted, you know, in their individualized education plans um, or other documentation that the schools may have had um, and, and, you know, didn't necessarily actually pose any harm to themselves or others. But, you know, whether it was because the law enforcement professional who responded didn't know that or for some other reason, those people also were placed under the Baker Act.
0: So there have got to be some numbers that you guys were looking at. Megan, I think you have some of those talking about why or how the numbers have grown. But why the attention on this now? Is this because, you know, somebody shot up a school and all of a sudden we're saying, oh, it's a mental health issue?
1: We tried to answer that question, uh, but first I, I kind of just want to go back to the data that we found. Like we were talking about earlier, it was difficult for us to, you know, we couldn't go to the state and just say how many times has this happened at school. We certainly couldn't get a look across the state and or, or even in our own community. So the way that we did it, um, we went to law enforcement agencies because, like Jack said, most of the time it's cops or, you know, police who are doing the Baker Act. We asked them for records of every time that they had responded to a school in our four counties in the Tampa Bay region just to kind of get a baseline for how much um, use of the Baker Act has increased over time. So we found that it's been used um, 7,500 times in the last seven years. And so in our four counties, that's a 35% increase over over five years. That's how we did that math. Um, And then in some of the districts, when we kind of zoomed in, in Hernando County, Pasco County, Pinellas County, in that 5 year time frame we're looking at an increase of 75% or more. Um so so that that's kind of where we had had to ask the question, you know, why is this increase happening? And we tried to answer that question. Of course, like you mentioned, the shooting in Parkland came up as, you know, maybe people are more on edge, maybe they're they're more worried about stopping the next school shooter. Um but of course, it, we we can't We can't prove that that's the case, Um, but definitely through our interviews, I, I think Jack would agree with me, through our interviews with law enforcement, them just saying, you know, we feel this insane responsibility that when we're at schools, it's our job to make sure that there aren't threats on campus.
2: It's something that's on people's minds for sure, but it's also worth noting that these numbers were going up very quickly before Parkland. Um, so that, you know, even if that is playing into this, even if that's a factor in the Bay Kroc numbers going up, it is certainly far from
0: the whole story. I'm thinking more, though, that people are paying more attention to it because of all these concerns about addressing mental health issues, as we're seeing in the legislature. We're putting record, record amounts of money towards fixing mental health issues, providing mental health services in schools because we want to address issues before they become bad. And so maybe that's why you even started looking at the question in the first place.
1: Yeah, kind of a different point, but taking that, um, just talking to mental health professionals about what's available in schools, too. You know, sometimes, or some of them, I think, told us, you know, maybe the Baker Act isn't the best option, but it's the option that's going to get a kid in front of a mental health professional. Um, So kind of what we took from that is maybe schools don't have, um, they're not equipped with the resources that... You know this wide array of children that they serve. Um, they're they're not equipped with resources for them. So. Sometimes kids, you know, who who might need some kind of help, might need some kind of counseling or attention from a mental health professional, they're not getting it at school and they don't have the means to get it outside of school for whatever reason. And so the Baker Act becomes really the only option for
2: them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure it's easy enough for armchair quarterbacks who maybe read about this or see this or hear this um, to say, well, why don't those kids' parents just take them to a counselor or whatever? But you have to remember that in a a lot of the Tampa Bay area, especially in Pennsylvania, Pasco County, Hernando County, still very rural, still very low income. Uh, Hernando County, I know for sure, and I believe maybe Pasco County, Jeff can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but have more than half of the students in those schools uh, qualify federally as um, economically disadvantaged. Um, You know, these are not resources that everyone has. And so it's kind of been left up to the schools to help kids get help when they need it. And, you know, as people have told us, and as Megan mentioned, even in a lot of those gray area cases, kids could maybe use some counseling. They could talk to someone. But when that's not available, sometimes people say, well, let's just use the bake act because that's what we have. That's, it's not, it is a, a fairly extreme option that a lot of people, I think, kind of consider like the last resort. But in schools, it it has often, as people have told us, become the only resort.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that because I was just at a meeting where they were talking about the needs of children in trauma with families in crisis. And a teacher stood before the school board in Pasco County and said, please provide us more counselors as you do these other programs for us because our kids need it and they deserve it so they can have an equitable opportunity to learn. And sometimes they need extra help that other kids don't need that.
1: And, and of course, the Baker Act, you know, I think an argument could be made that some kids are are being Baker Acted and they're coming back to school with more issues and and more problems than they had before. I mean, it's... they're being taken from school in front of all their friends put in a cop car in handcuffs taken to a mental health facility where they can't see their parents most of the time um i mean it's real trauma that they go through and if if they didn't need an extreme measure like that then then really what are you are you setting them up for success when they get back to school and and then probably not.
2: And, you know, these facilities, it's worth noting, you know, sometimes help people, but also sometimes have serious problems. uh, As our colleague Leonora Lupita-Anton found, um, both for a story that she wrote as part of this series uh, with John Pendergraft, and also she contributed some of this information to the story that Megan and I wrote. There have been, um, you know, via lawsuits and other things, she found that, Uh, At mental health facilities, children have been sexually assaulted. They've been placed in the same uh, waiting rooms and bedrooms as full-blown adults. Um, Which
1: violates state law. Yes,
2: there there are are major problems in some of these places that, that children might wind up experiencing.
0: So I just have a quick question for you. Who is this baker of Baker Act?
2: So Maxine Baker was a state lawmaker in the early 1970s. Um, She was a – she pushed for this law. She had heard um, about problems with Florida's – essentially the mental health system in the state – And she believed that people should have an option other than going to jail or going to a state hospital um, if they needed mental health treatment and were in a crisis situation. Um, So she was the one who was behind this law with the idea that people would have options to uh, get community care when they might, A, not have access to other care, and B, were in crisis and maybe posed a threat to themselves or others and couldn't uh, make that decision for themselves. Um, and, and so that was the basic idea behind it. Uh, and and she, she was the one who was behind the push for the law.
1: The children were never mentioned at, at that time.
2: True, yeah, the, the law at the time did not... Do much, if anything, to distinguish between adults and children, and, and although there are some distinguishments now, um, there's not a whole lot of difference, uh, especially on the front end. Um, so, like before, you know, the people who are being placed under the Baker Act get to the facilities. Everything that happens before then is really not different between adults and children. So now you have mentioned lawmakers.
0: Next, we need to talk about what they're looking at doing with the Baker Act. This is the Tampa Bay Times Great Book Podcast. Now, you've been looking at the legislation that we have a bipartisan, cross-estate group of lawmakers trying to fix the Baker Act. According to what you and some other papers have written about it over the past several months, what's out there?
2: Yeah, so first off, I should note that um, this legislation that has been filed, bills have been filed in the Florida House and the Florida Senate. This legislation was in the works before our stories on the subject came out, Uh, although in speaking with one of the lawmakers, she did tell me that, you know, we and other reporters had reached out to her about this subject and the the questions that we were asking and the research that we were doing also affected kind of how she approached the bill that she wrote. Um, So that was interesting to hear, Uh, but I wanted to note that up front. That said, the two bills that have been filed, one in the Florida House, one in the Florida Senate, there's a bill in the Florida House uh, filed by Representative Jennifer Webb, who who's out of Gulfport right here in Pinellas County. Um, She's a a Democrat out of Gulfport. There's a bill that's been filed in the Florida Senate by longtime Florida lawmaker Gail Harrell, uh, who's a Republican out of, I believe, Stewart, Florida, on the Atlantic side of the state. Um, And so you have bipartisan support for these bills. You have bills filed in both chambers from lawmakers who are essentially directly across the state from each other, uh, which provides an, an interesting sort of look at this um, and what these bills would do. And they're identical in most respects. And Jennifer Webb did tell me she expects them to become completely identical as the, the legislation kind of percolates. Um, but what they would do is... Uh, Kind of confront a lot of the same problems that we found in our reporting with how the Baker Act is used in schools and, and try to reform those things. So one major thing that we found and that they basically lead off this bill with is parental notification. We found that in an overwhelming majority of cases uh, that we reviewed, parents didn't know that their kids had been taken from school until they were already on their way to or at the mental health facilities. Um, And so not only did they not have any input uh, on this process, but they didn't even in some cases know where to find their kids. Um,
0: That's got to be so totally frustrating as a parent. I mean, and there's nothing that they can do about it.
2: Right. That's, that's exactly what we've heard. That frustration is something that we've definitely heard from parents that we've talked to. And, you and, know,
1: and the answer is no, there's nothing that they can do about it. Nothing at all.
2: And, and that's because the, the perspective of law enforcement is basically the way that the law is written is that law enforcement quote, shall use the Baker Act when they believe that someone meets these criteria and that a mental health professional may use the Baker Act when someone meets those criteria. And so the way that law enforcement professionals read that is, you know, if we believe that someone meets these criteria... We initiate the Baker Act, and once we say Baker Act, we can't go back. No one can change it. That kid has to be taken to a mental health facility. So parents often come into play way after the decision has been made and way after they would have the opportunity to do anything. And so this parental notification would make it so that school officials and law enforcement officials have to notify parents earlier in the process. Um, And maybe
0: before it actually takes them to the facility,
2: perhaps? Possibly, (laughs) possibly. And, um, you know, that... I should say also, you know, having talked uh, about these bills with some experts on the Baker Act who aren't lawmakers, uh, particularly Martha Linderman, who's known as the foremost expert on the Baker Act in Florida, um, you know, th- there are some reservations that those folks, including Ms. Linderman, have about the bills. One of which is, you know, they would like it to be more specific as to exactly when our parents going to be notified in these situations. And having talked to the lawmakers in this case, that's something that, you know, they, they have heard and, you know, they say that they will try to make those things more specific also. Um, so that, that, but anyway, the parental notification aspect is, is certainly a major aspect of what these bills would do if they were passed. Uh, another huge part of it is data collection. As we've talked about, the state at this point doesn't really have reliable data that you can get uh, or that even the state has to show how often the Baker Act is being used in schools. And these bills call for school districts actually to self-report the a number annually of kids who have been placed under the Baker Act in their schools. Um, and so... Even though most of the data about the Baker Act is collected from those forms that go to DCF when the Baker Act is used, this would be kind of a different way to get that number. Um, And it's something that Annette Christie, who runs the Baker Act Reporting Center at USF, told me would be something, you know, that that they could actually absolutely do something with. Um, So this
0: is a good starting point. Do you imagine or do they say that there are going to be more that would come? This is the first step. You have to get your toes wet because, I mean, what, you said this is a 40-year-old law and Lawmakers haven't done a whole heck of a lot to it
2: since. Right. Absolutely. And and there are definitely things um, that was something I interviewed both lawmakers, but that was something that especially Representative Webb emphasized is that, you know, there's a this is a very wide ranging and complex law and they seek to address, you know, what they see as four or five pretty major problems in this um but they see a lot of other things that they can continue to address one of which is uh, you know increased involvement of um you know school based mental health professionals that's something that we talked about a little bit earlier in this podcast um and a, a problem that we noted in our story is that in a majority of cases that we reviewed of those hundreds of cases that we reviewed mental health professionals weren't consulted by law enforcement before law enforcement decided to use the Baker Act, and mental health professionals have told us that they want to be more involved. These bills do kind of get at that in kind of a a roundabout way by saying that school districts would have to have agreements with what are called mobile crisis response teams, essentially these floating teams of mental health professionals uh, that are funded by the state, who they would have to consult with before using the Baker Act. Uh, However, that still doesn't necessarily address uh, consulting with school-based mental health officials, and that something for example that Jennifer Webb brought up as something to pursue in the future but there's a lot of other aspects as well
0: so no, Megan y'all started off by doing you said this is a series or a project what should we be looking for next what are you looking at in terms of the Baker Act and is there more to be said or are we just now waiting to see what lawmakers do
1: Uh, Well, definitely waiting to see what lawmakers do. But uh, on top of that, um, I I think Jack and I will probably continue to watch this data and see how it changes in, in the next year and years to come. Um, You know, it's been a steady incline, so seeing if that incline continues will be interesting. Um, there's also, like we mentioned, so many holes in data, and, and we're kind of thinking of different ways and, and have had conversations about different ways of how to get at more demographic information about who these kids are that are being Baker Acted, um, asking, going back to law enforcement agencies and asking them for more information. I also cover higher ed, so I've been looking into how this is unfolding on higher ed campuses in Florida. How um, is it
0: unfolding on higher ed I am still making
1: public records requests, so okay. we will see. <laughs> uh, but it's it's definitely it's it's something that's being talked about and something that's happening. Um so I'm, I'm just looking at the major universities in Florida. And then on top of that, Leonora LaPeter Anton, who worked on this project with us, she's continuing to dig into uh, facilities in Florida where, where children are taken and, and um, you know, looking at lawsuits and looking at medical records and trying to piece together, you know, what that kind of world looks like for, for kids who are taken from school and, and put in those places.
0: Well then, so we have a lot to look forward to coming forward. You're going to have to come back again. Maybe we'll get Leonora if she wants to, to come and chat yeah, too. But I like take. I like having you guys here, so it's great. And I like being in person, seeing your faces as yeah. opposed to just having <laughs> telephone conversations. So of this is course. great. So thank you so much for sitting down and doing the podcast and and good luck
2: on continuing your reporting on The Baker Act. Sure. Thanks for having us. And if you're listening to this and you've got a tip or a story you want us to hear, please reach out. We want to hear it.
0: Your email address or phone number or
1: something?
2: Uh, I'm at I'm Evans at tampabay.com. That's J-E-V-A-N-S at tampabay.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Jack H. Evans.
1: And my email is mreeves, R-E-E-V-E-S at tampabay.com.
2: So reach out to Megan and
0: Jack. Share your stories about the Baker Act if you have any. And come back and tell us, too, what you want to hear for this podcast going forward. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's topic, please go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and add your comments to the post of this podcast. To keep up with the latest in Florida education news, please visit our blog, www.tampabay.com slash gradebook. Have comments, questions, or concerns about this podcast? Want to hear about something else? Send us an email to me at jsalachek at tampabay.com or add a review to the site where you get your podcasts, including Google, Apple, and Stitcher. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks so much for listening.